Well, I feel excited now. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm ready to uh, do what we do now each Sunday as well, to dig into God's Word, look at a passage, uh, talk about what it means and why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 20? Exodus 20, we're going to start in verse 1 and 2 as we have been each week, but Where we're going to dig in today is in verses 8 through 11. So if you found that and you're able, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to dive in at verse 1. Here we read this. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Let's jump up now to verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me quickly pray for us here, ask God's blessing on this time and his word, and then we'll dive in together. Spirit of God, would you illumine now the preaching of your word? We come to you uh, as people who are desiring to be grown and learn and instructed and taught and fed by your word. Would you accomplish all those things, God? You tell us when you send out your word, it accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. God, would you accomplish that purpose in each one of us today? And as I ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. In his uh, 2020 book entitled Beautiful Resistance, John Tyson introduces us to a young 26-year-old stockbroker working for the Osaka branch of Ace Securities named Kamei Shuji. Unhappy with the results that he was able to come up with in his kind of entry-level position, uh, his kind of 9 to 5, Monday to Friday work week, Kame Shuji began to alter his work schedule. So he began to start work at 7 a.m. in the morning, work till 10 p.m. at night, and do that seven days a week. And accomplishing through that incredible results, rocketed him like right to the top of his corporation, uh, honored in corporate publications, he was idolized by other young traders who saw what he did and were like, oh man, I, I, I'm never going to rise to the top like him. As Tyson puts it, he says, Shuji was all in. Shuji was crushing it. Shuji is dead. Uh, collapsing at a weekend sales seminar, uh, Shuji, he suffered a massive heart attack at just 26 years of age and did not survive. Tyson concludes this way, Kamei Shuji was not the first to die on the job. In Japan, this has happened with such frequency that it has been diagnosed as a medical condition, karoshi, death by overwork. And yet, Tyson says, decades later, it appears we have not learned a thing. In some sense, Kamei Shuji's work approach has become normal life in American culture. And I think he's right. I think he's absolutely 
Right, like honestly, I mean, like, just as one example of the kind of madness that's just become our normal everyday experience and not to pick on it in particular, technology. Technology, that, that is, I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the many technological advances that we enjoy in our day and age. I'm grateful for the fact that this microphone is amplifying my voice right now. I don't have to shout over these fans. Uh, that I was able to write this message on a laptop and not a old school like typewriter. Uh, all of those things, super grateful for. So much of life has been enriched by technology. So much has been made more available to us than any generation previously. And yet, despite the promise of technology to allow us to do more and work less, I think we'd all agree at this point in time now, technology has really only made good on the first part of that promise, just to help us do more. Like, I mean, even just something as simple as working from home, right? Like, that's, that's a, a helpful, even essential advantage of technology in a global pandemic, right? But taking work home, taking work on vacation, taking work to the bathroom even, that, that was a thing long before COVID-19 even showed up. As Tyson later adds this, he says, we may ache for peace in our world, but many of our lifestyles are a form of violence to ourselves and to those we love. That hits me every time I read that. Just sit in that for a second. Think of your own life and how, in what ways do, does your current lifestyle do violence to yourself and to those that you love? So we're continuing in our summer teaching series this morning entitled 10 Words. Coming today to the fourth word, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. A word that I pray you'll come to see by the end of this morning that has never been more needed for our exhausted, kind of productivity drunk worlds, uh, and yet at the very same time never more ignored. Even, even within the church, where you'd think that obedience to God's word would be more likely to occur? Um, no, um, particularly as it relates to this command about the Sabbath, uh, almost the exact opposite in many cases. Uh, even, even for those who would say, no, I agree, the moral law is still binding on the church today. Um, somehow, the command to remember the Sabbath and keep it, keep it holy, this, this has become, even for those people, um, something that is important, helpful, but not necessarily required. And it's a lack of obedience that stems largely from an ongoing controversy around this fourth commandment, which continues right up until this day, based on both a lack of kind of a common understanding, I think a really true understanding of what this commandment is really asking us to do, and what I see as a failure of the post-resurrection church to disentangle what are the civil and ceremonial aspects of this commandment that would have been relevant for people in Moses' day, but which are no longer relevant for us today, and the civil kind of created order aspects of this command, which I believe are still, make it still very much binding for us today. And so in order to help us both gain that true understanding of this fourth word and, and do that work of disentangling what does and does not still apply to us today, what I want to look at together with you are the origins or the beginnings of the Sabbath. And then we're actually going to revisit some of the work we did a few weeks ago in Matthew 12, which revealed Jesus' own understanding of the Sabbath commandment, and talk about the blessing of the Sabbath. So just those two places, the, 
the origins or beginnings of the Sabbath and the blessing of the Sabbath. Because the reality is this. Just if you want to know like big picture where we're going, this is where we are trying to get to today in our message. Obedience to the fourth word is not only about aligning ourselves with the created order for which we were designed. It is that, but it's not only that. It also becomes a litmus test of our obedience to the first word. You shall have no other gods before me. Because at the end of the day, your ability to stop working, to, to cease, which is the literal translation of what the Hebrew word Sabbath means, reveals the truth beyond anything else that you say about where and in whom you truly put your trust. Your ability to just stop work, that reveals the truth about where and in whom you truly are putting your trust and who you truly worship at the end of the day. So let's do this. Let's look at this. If you closed your Bibles, your Bible app, would you open it again with me to that passage? Follow along with me, Exodus 20, starting at verse 8. Come with me here as we dive into this next word, which, as I said, has never been more needed, never been more relevant than it is today, and which I think you're going to see without question, absolutely calls us into the fullness of life, which uh, technology, which ceaseless productivity promises to deliver, but which only God can truly provide. Okay, so let's look first of all at the origins or the beginnings of Sabbath. The origins of Sabbath. So look back with me now at verse 8. Again, God says this, Remember this Sabbath day to keep it holy. Which, if nothing else, that tells us already something. It says that the Sabbath day, whatever that is, it had an origin before this moment when God commanded his people to remember it. Right? Because you don't ask someone to remember something they have no previous experience or memory of, it also tells us something else. It says, remembering the Sabbath day, whatever that means, that is how we keep the Sabbath day holy. Because you notice he says, remember the Sabbath day to, or in order to, keep it holy. So let's just circle back for a minute, just get all on the same page here to begin. I said a moment ago, the English word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease to stop or, or, or to bring to an end. So the Sabbath day is a day of ceasing. It's a day of stopping. And when you look then, read on into verses 9 and 10, you see both what God's people are to cease from, uh, their work, their labor, as well as who it is that's supposed to cease. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. And these rhythms that uh, we, we see of working for six days and then ceasing from one actually had already begun to be established in God's people as it related to the collection of manna out in the wilderness. Manna was this like bread-like substance that would fall from the sky. God was providing for his people as they traveled through the wilderness after being delivered from slavery in Egypt. This was God's provision of sustenance to sustain them as they made their way to the promised land. Uh, but as you can read about in Exodus 16, just a few chapters back, there was a, an order to how they were to collect. They would collect just enough for each day and that day only, except for on the sixth day. On the sixth day, they would collect enough for two days because no manna would fall on the seventh day. So therefore, it was kind of almost like an enforced Sabbath. There would be no manna to collect on the seventh day. So... On that day, they were not to collect anything. So this rhythm was already established of 
uh, not working on the seventh day. So when God says to his people, remember the Sabbath day, uh, this, this day of ceasing, that, that already had an origin for them. They already had a, a memory in their mind of what it is that he's calling them to remember. But why would God call them to remember it? What's that about? What, what does he mean, remember the Sabbath day? Um, because at the time God gave them this fourth word, they're still living out that rhythm of collecting for six days, not collecting on the seventh. So, so clearly, I mean, is this just a call to nostalgia? God's just saying, hey, remember when I told you that? Um, and then, by the way, here's some extra things I'm going to add on. Don't do any work at all, not just collecting manna. Don't, don't do any work. Is that all that's going on? Well, no, I don't think so, because the answer to that comes when we learn this, that the call in the Bible to remember almost always is a call to action. The call to remember is almost always a call to action, not simply recalling some past event or promise. So you see this, for instance, in Genesis chapter 9. God places a, a rainbow up in the sky after the great flood, and he says whenever he sees that sign of the rainbow, he will remember his covenant with Abraham. Uh, Luke 22, Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper. He says we were to eat and drink in remembrance of him. So this is calling to remember again. But clearly, what God is not saying in Genesis 9 is, I need that sign in order to be reminded of my covenant not to destroy the earth with a flood. Like, all right. I said I wasn't going to do that. Nor is Jesus, when he calls us to eat and drink in remembrance of him, just saying, you know, remember the fact that I gave my life for you. Just remember it. No. In both instances, as well as countless others, the call to remember is a call to remember what happened and then live in light of that. Or then carry out or be faithful to the action or the promise that you're remembering. It's a call to action. So, as it relates to this pattern of gathering manna, just what was already their regular practice. The origin of the Sabbath God's people are to live in light in is his provision. That their God is a God who is a provider. And so the call to remember the Sabbath day is a call to trust. It's a call to trust that God is my provider. He provides what I need. But as you read on to verse 11, we see that there's another origin to the Sabbath command, actually a more ancient Origin all the way back to the beginning of time. Rooting here, God roots the command to cease from all labor on the Sabbath day in this. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so here. So in effect, God is telling his people, hey, that pattern that you had of gathering on six days and then not gathering on the seventh day, that, that, that is rooted, that, that's not just rooted in my instructions about gathering food. It's actually rooted in how I designed the entire universe to work. That's how I've set it up in these patterns of six and one. So as well as living in the light of God's provision, the origin of the Sabbath people, of the origin of the Sabbath that God's people are to live in light on is the fact that rest is as much a part of God's created order as work is. Both important, but he's saying, I've actually worked rest into the order of the universe, how it works. And so the call to remember the Sabbath day is a call to enter into that rest, to enjoy it, to actually cease from labor in the same way that God ceased from his. And there's actually one further origin, one further beginning that we read about in Deuteronomy 5. This is where Moses later restates the moral law to the people just before they're about to enter into the promised land. He restates this fourth word, the same as he does in Deuteronomy 20, but then he adds this instead. 
He says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arms. So here, the origin of the Sabbath that God's people are to live in light of is his deliverance. Their God is a delivering God. The call to remember the Sabbath day is a call to celebrate the fact that God has delivered us from that slavery in Egypt. So those are the three foundations, the three kind of beginnings or foundations of the fourth word, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's, that's what it's all built upon, a call to trust in God's provision, to rest from our labors, and to celebrate God's deliverance. Which, man, I don't know if it's the same for you too, but when, when, when I read that trusting resting celebration that sounds so different from what i think about when i think of the idea of sabbath keeping in my mind when i hear that oh sabbath keeping you're supposed to keep the sabbath i've got this like anxious uh, oppressive kind of rule keeping picture in my mind people with faces that look anything but rested that's what comes to mind when i think of that but when i look at the actual foundations of this fourth word it almost sounds like the Sabbath was actually intended to be this really good thing. Like, like, like the Sabbath is something that anyone would actually want to be a part of. Celebration, rest, just trusting in God's provision. Well, we're going to get more into this in just a minute when we talk about the, the blessing of the Sabbath, but hopefully already gaining this different perspective on the fourth word, seeing what the origins of it are, hopefully helps you to already begin to see that that's absolutely was the intent of the Sabbath command. It absolutely was intended to be this really good thing that, yes, anyone would gladly want to be a part of once they knew what it really was. Okay. So hopefully already, just kind of a better understanding the origins or the beginnings of the Sabbath, you're beginning to see where I'm coming from when I say that that this fourth word is not only something that we should continue to keep today, it's something we should want to keep. I know, like I said, there were, there were certain aspects of the command that were connected to, particularly to Israelite life in Moses' day, which we, we should discard as they were like made obsolete in the coming of Jesus. But hopefully now you're beginning to see that, that this, when we rightly understand the call to Sabbath, to remember God's provision to rest from our labors, to, to celebrate his deliverance. Hopefully that transforms the whole way you see this command to begin with. It should also begin to understand your understandings of work as well as your understandings of rest and rest. I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but isn't that something that we, could, we, we are just in desperate need of today, if, if not more so even in that day? And with that in hand, and, and what I pray is now kind of a growing, stirring hunger within you to live out the goodness of this fourth word, to seek to kind of start to implement this more in your life on a day-to-day -day basis because, man, it seems like that's something really good and kind of how God made things work. I want to look together with you lastly now at the blessing of Sabbath. The blessing of Sabbath. And this is where I want to dig back into what we looked at a month or so ago in Matthew 12 for just a minute where Jesus and his disciples are being challenged by the religious rulers because of what they saw as a violation of this fourth word. Very upset at Jesus and his disciples. So if you weren't here for that message, um, if you've just forgotten, I mean, in fairness, I wasn't here either. That's when I had COVID. I just mailed in a video of the message. But 
Just to recap, to remind you of what's going on, um, Jesus' disciples were hungry. They're walking by a field one day, and they grab some heads of grain and begin rubbing them in their hands to release the kernels, to eat them. Jesus also heals a man with a withered hand. Um, all of these things, according to the tradition of the religious rulers, made them violating this word. They have violated the Sabbath command. And in response, what Jesus does is to do three things. He unpacks what would have been some very well-known Old Testament passages describing these exact things for the Pharisees who should have known this. He reminds them of the fact that every week, the priests in the temple, they violate the Sabbath by working and offering sacrifices, and nobody bats an eye at that. And lastly, he gives them a story, an illustration about helping a sheep out of the pit on the Sabbath, which any God-fearing Jew would have gladly and easily done, all in order to help them, in order to help his accusers as well as anyone else who is listening to get back to those foundations, to get back to a right understanding of the Sabbath's good and true intent. He's saying, you're missing it, guys. You're missing out on the key blessing that this is supposed to be. Because the problem was that over the years, God's people, they'd lost sight of those things. They'd lost sight of the good intent. They lost sight of the origins of this fourth word. And as a result, the Sabbath had become a burden more than a blessing. And you see this when Jesus is later on in Matthew 23. He's pronouncing these woes over the scribes and Pharisees for tying up these heavy burdens, he says, and regulations and placing them on people's shoulders. He's saying, you, 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 you've missed it, and you've made everyone else miss it as well. And no question, yeah, the, the many rules and regulations put around not just the Sabbath, but all of the law uh, was actually, these, these were things created by the religious rulers. They came up with them. They say, these aren't things that God actually speaks in his word about what they were supposed to do. These were all regulations put together by the religious rulers, placed on people's shoulders, crushing burden. And I don't know, to their credit, if we can maybe, I don't know, assess their motives in the best light possible. To their credit, I think the, 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 the Pharisees, the religious rulers, they were at least doing their best. We can honor their zeal and their heart in trying to help God's people make sure they didn't break the, the law. That's, that's, that was their intent, if we can see it in the best possible light. But here's the thing. Whenever the law becomes a burden rather than a blessing that should immediately trigger in us the realization that something's off, something's wrong, that, that as it relates to any of the ten words, including this Sabbath command, either we've lost sight of the good origins, we've lost sight of like how this started and what it was supposed to be, or we've ceased to frame all of the Ten Commandments as God does with that prologue, which we read at the beginning, verses 1 and 2, which reminds us grace is the basis of the law, not judgment. That, that keeping the law is our grateful response to a God who's already redeemed us, not uh, the means by which we seek to merit his redemption. And we saw this very thing last week with a third word, where in order to ensure that God's divine name, Yahweh, wasn't used in vain, all kinds of rules and regulations were placed around the use of God's name in order to ensure that that command was kept. But then in so doing... They missed out on the relational blessing of calling God by the name that he had introduced himself with and by which he wanted to be called. So their regulations had caused them to miss out on the blessing of that word here, the very same thing. The blessing God intended for his people through the weekly rhythm of ceasing from work and resting was lost 
It was lost the moment Sabbath keeping became work in and of itself. All the stuff that they had to do just to make sure they didn't break the Sabbath command became work. So as Jesus rightly reminded his listeners in Mark's recounting of this same passage in Mark chapter 2, he corrects their wrong understanding. He says, you missed it. He says, what you don't realize is that the Sabbath was actually made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I made this for you guys as a blessing, as a gift. And I know in our modern-day Western society, this can all look kind of silly, um, kind of pietistic and easily discardable, all these rules and keeping this stuff. It can look like that. And as I said, there is stuff to discard. There's parts we, that we don't need to keep anymore. But at the same time, I think, just as we saw last week with the third word, where the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day missed out on the blessing of the Sabbath by taking it too seriously... I wonder if we don't miss out on the blessing of the Sabbath day as well by discarding it entirely, not, not taking it seriously enough. For again, the rhythms of laboring for six days and then ceasing for one, far more than simply a good idea, as we see here right in our passage, that's rooted in the very foundation of how God designed the universe to work. It's how he, he designed life to work best. And so it's not like we're earning our acceptance with God through Sabbath keeping. That was already earned for us by Jesus. But dismissing the fourth word altogether, saying, oh, well, that's no longer required for followers of Jesus now today, <clears throat> is to be both forgetful of the origins of the Sabbath command and to live in light of them, as well as to miss out on the blessing that God intended for us in aligning ourselves with how God designed life to work. And, and re resisting modern culture's relentless push towards Karoshi culture with these means that God has given us. He's given us the means by which we can avoid that burnout culture. If only we'll understand it for the blessing it is and take advantage of it. That's why I love Tyson's comment about the continued practice of Sabbath keeping still today, especially as it relates to what I said last week about bearing God's name as his people. And I promise this is the last quote from Tyson. He writes this, Sabbath is given to us by God as a form of his grace and blessing. And our practice of Sabbath is our gift to God, of our trust, our worship, and loyalty to his loyalship in a culture of counterfeits. And I love this. I know of no more formative and countercultural practice for a culture of exhaustion than that of Sabbath. In a 24-7 world, 24-6 living is a sign of wonder and prophetic declaration that there is another way to live. I think that's one of the ways we, we bear the name as God's people, living in this 24-6 way. It's a testimony of all of these foundations that we just looked at, all these origins of the word. But here's my question for you in closing. If all of that's true, if that's truly what the Bible is calling us to, and, and beyond that, even medicine and science testify to the wisdom that ceasing, rest, restoration being this essential need in our weekly rhythms. How come we don't do this more? Why aren't we doing this? Why isn't Sabbath keeping like a regular practice for everyone, regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus or not? Why don't we do this? And I think the answer to that question is found in uncovering what Tim Keller calls the work 
beneath the work. The work beneath the work. That is, addressing what's going, underneath, what's going on underneath the surface of our frenetic pace that's driving us towards Kuroshi culture to begin with. Keller describes it like this. Work beneath the work, he says, it's the need to prove yourself to yourself and to others. And that work makes all other kinds of work incredibly wearying. It's never enough. And I love this. He says, so our problem is not the presence of work. Hear that, believe that. Our problem is not the presence of work, but the absence of deep rest. The Sabbath is a call to deep rest. Hear me, not to relaxation. I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, but like just checking out for a bit, um, chilling and watching like three or four episodes on Netflix and eating a bunch of food, that's not restorative. You don't feel restored after that. That's not deep rest. Which means, look, even in our leisure, we're still not at rest. We're still not experiencing Sabbath rest because of that constant voice in our head, that constant voice saying you need to prove yourself to yourself and everyone else around you. I know I'm somebody important. There's something to me, something important As Keller rightly says, we've all got that voice going on inside our heads. I need to prove to everybody and to myself that I have value, that I I mean something, I matter. It's always going on in our heads. And he says, the way you know that you're not truly entering into this rest is this. He says, quote, if you're always too busy, if you can never just say no to people and set some time aside for deep rest, you are a slave. Even if even if it's self-imposed, this isn't like what's required of you. Even if you're doing it to yourself, you're still a slave. And hearing that, hearing that word even, and understanding that concept should immediately take you back to the origins and foundations of the fourth word. Because remember, the entire basis for God's call to Sabbath rest is trusting in His provision, resting from our labor, and as it relates to this Slavery, whether it's self-imposed or not, the celebration of our deliverance, that we've already been delivered. So slavery should have nothing to do in the life of a believer in God. As we read in Hebrews 4, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works, just as God did from his. That's referring back to that creation account, Genesis 1 and 2. Because as it relates to that work beneath the work, In Jesus, all the work necessary, both to earn our acceptance with God, as well as to prove our value, prove our worthiness and worthwhileness, that's already been accomplished in Jesus' death. He's already said, you you mean so much to me. You're so much value. You are so important to me. I'm going to come and give my very life in order to redeem you and restore you. He's already done the work. The work is accomplished. Which is why Jesus could say from the cross before his last breath, it is finished. The work is already done. And maybe you feel like we've shifted. We've gone into something else here. Like, I thought we were talking about overwork. I thought we were talking about like working too much and burnout culture. But don't you see? This work beneath the work is what's driving your overwork. It's what's driving the 80 to 90 hour work week on the surface, driving you to feel like you need to prove yourself to yourself and to others. Which means until you can hear Jesus call in Matthew 11, 
Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And apply that to the work beneath the work first, to rest from that work. You'll never take the necessary steps in order to experience Sabbath rest from any other work as well. All those kind of best practices that we read about in books, you know, make this part of your regular practice. Make sure you take your vacation days. Try to put your phone away more. All that stuff, it's good. It is good. It's helpful in, in getting to deep rest, but it's all, it doesn't get to the root of the problem. It's just, you know, this expression I love to use, it's just mowing over the dandelions, which looks good for a couple days, but in a week, they just pop right back up again. You haven't dealt with the problem at the root. You haven't addressed what's driving your overwork to begin with. Because I said when we began, obedience to the fourth word, it's ultimately a litmus test of your obedience to the first word, you shall have no other gods before me. How well we obey this command to Sabbath rest is a testimony of our obedience to that first word. Many of us here this morning, I know a lot of your faces, many of us here this morning, we would probably say, Jesus, Jesus is the one who's the greatest value in my life. He's my everything. That's what matters most to me. He's the top. And yet... What your inability to cease, the, the violence that your lifestyle does to yourself and to others, what that reveals is that what you truly value most is status, is productivity, is the security that comes from having enough, is applause, is whatever it is. That's what we truly value most. That's the thing we truly worship. We're revealing that by our inability to just stop and just close the laptop. So the call of this word for us today, and I want you to take a moment to just pause and think how this applies specifically to you, where you're at. Each one of your experiences is going to be different, but the call of this passage today is this, will you return to those origins of this fourth word and then remember them, live in light of them? Will you remember that God is your provider? You remember that God is the one who rests and calls you into rest. Remember that God is your deliverer. Because in so doing, that's how we begin to actually do this, to enter into the Sabbath rest that God graciously provided from all of our work, the work beneath the work as well as the work on top that we can see. And then on top of that, just saying that, will you do the work of digging down underneath the surface of your overwork? underneath the surface of that violence that we do to ourselves and others, driving you to try to keep up with Kiroshi culture's expected pace, and then confess through our weekly practice of ceasing. Jesus is my provider. Jesus is my deliverer. Jesus is my restorer. And Jesus is the one in whom I truly put all my trust. Amen.